Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Adam Jones and Chris Beasley as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park, but specifically on this Sunday afternoon to reflect, finally, on the events of Friday night at Goodison under the lights. 2-2 with Spurs. What does that mean for Everton's European ambitions? What does that do for the target uh, of a point that Carlo Ancelotti set a couple of weeks back? Encouraging signs, concerning signs, uh, but we will discuss all of that and in between. Uh, now, Adam, I'll start with you. Of course, you, you were uh, Goodison sat alongside me. Um, just, just give me your overriding kind of feeling as, as, you, as you left Goodison around 11 o'clock uh, on Friday night. Just a, a, a similar feeling of frustration, obviously, wasn't it? Uh, that we had uh, from that Crystal Palace game because at the end of the day, Everton created enough chances to win that game against Spurs. You know, they, I think Spurs maybe had four chances all the way through the game. Uh, the, the only ones that they scored were the ones that Everton gifted directly to them as well. So Everton have shot themselves in the foot at both ends of the pitch, really. And I think, you know, the most frustrating thing is that Everton, you know, I think that was probably Everton's best performance in, in, in a little while, to be honest. Like, I think, especially, you know, after the first, you know, half an hour, let's say, you know, when Spurs took the lead, uh, up until that point, I was thinking to myself, oh, it's going to be another one of those, another one of those days. But that really seemed to kick Everton into gear. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson and James Rodriguez in particular were linking up really, really well. Uh, I thought Everton went up another level when Seamus Coleman came on in the second half as well. And as I say, they were playing some really, some really nice football. But again, it's just, just taking those chances, you know, that, that Richarlison chance right near the end, you know, when, King has his shot saved by Lloris. Like how how important is that going to prove to be uh, come the end of the season? You know, all he needed to do was keep it down and keep it, you know, just to the left, and he somehow managed to to blaze that over the bar. So yeah, I think that'll be that'll be the most frustrating thing for Ancelotti. And I think he was right in coming out after the game and you know trying to focus on the performance uh, more than anything because Everton fully deserved three points there. I'm not sure what Mourinho was saying, and you know thinking that was a fair result. I don't agree with that at all. I think Everton completely, completely deserved to win that game. And it's it's only by their own mistakes that they haven't won that game. And, you know, how many times have we said that this season? I think that's, if this was an isolated incident, then you'd be able to take it in your stride a little bit more, I think. But I think that's why there was so much frustration and disappointment after that game, because it's not an isolated incident. You know, even, even in the last home game, you could say the exact same thing about, about Everton. So... Yeah, I, th- I think frustration is probably the uh, the key word that I was feeling, but not it's not without positives, I have to say. Chris, you know, can, are you able to put your finger on why it's not happened at Goodison this season? I mean, the, the form at the very, very start at Goodison was excellent, wasn't it? You yeah. know, some some really impressive victories. But ever since the, the 2-2 draw in the derby in, in mid-October, <clears throat> 
Everton's form at Goodison has just gone up and down, up and down, up and down. And even, as Adam alluded to there, even when they play, arguably as well as they've played at Goodison all season on Friday night, they're still coming away, dropped points and, and, and frustrated. Yeah, I think it, it it has to be, you say, a major factor has to be the, the absence of supporters. We, we obviously saw in that brief period in December when there was only 2,000 in the ground, they wanted the select band of clubs who were allowed to do that. You know, it helped them get over the line in a couple of close games against um, Chelsea and um, Arsenal. And it, it's weird because we've been talking about it all season. Home advantage has been totally eradicated for everyone across the board. I think probably Everton and Liverpool feel it more than most, but there are other clubs like that. Sheffield United who just got relegated. It's been a big thing mm. for them. I mean, they're typical second season promoted side who've gone down, but I'm sure it's been a big factor for them. But okay, home advantage has been eroded for everybody, but it, it doesn't mean that you actually have to pl- um, play poorly. I said the advantage is gone, but there's no disadvantage. And yes. that's why it's so frustrating because, you know, we've, we've seen the way they, they've they set up an excellent away record. And I mean, a lot of teams are like this, you know, they play on the counter and they seem to have got a lot more success away from home. But I, like I said, it doesn't mean a disadvantage in home. And that's why it's so frustrating because I think there's a massive opportunity this season. I would say under normal circumstances, this team is not good enough for top four or by, by quite a, a considerable margin. But... It's such a strange season. It's it's a big opportunity up for grabs, and you fear that if Everton don't take it this season, and I, I don't think they will, that you know an opportunity like as good as this might not come around for for, for a number of years, and that and that's the, that's the real frustrating part because they're still not cut adrift. They win that game in hand. I think they are still only three points off West Ham in fourth, and considering they've not won since West Brom early early in March, I mean that's amazing. But it shows you that the other teams around are inconsistent, and what a big opportunity. This is, which makes makes it more frustrating, really, for me. Yeah, that you're right there, Chris. Win the game in hand whenever the game in hand is rearranged for. Because uh, we, <laughs> we have we have asked the Premier League, by the way, and we don't we haven't been able to get an answer. But that's that's by the by. Um, you know, win that game in hand, go to West Ham, and you know, it, as you say, Chris, it's it, it's very much uh, still in the mix. But Adam, you know, there was, you know, I mean, as it just settles, of course, Chris has, has offered some some healthy perspective there. But certainly on Friday evening. We were both kind of looking at that and thinking, you know, seven games to go now. Can Carlo is probably still looking for 15, 16 points maybe from seven games. I mean, it's 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 a it's a tall order, isn't it? They're going to have to be almost perfect between now and between now and May uh, to ensure that they reach what Carlo's asked for. It's a huge ask, isn't it? And I think you know, especially with the way that we've you know seen the last three games go in particular, you know, three three draws in pretty disappointing circumstances, I'd have to say, in, in all three occasions. You know, it's going to take some sort of monumental change in, in in the way Everton are playing at the minute to try and be, you know, as you say, nearly perfect, because that is that is what it's going to take. I think, you know, Everton have got a pretty pretty difficult running. You know, playing Aston Villa twice isn't going to be easy. You know, travelling to Arsenal next week as well. Obviously, final game against Man City as well. You know, th- there's some... There's some really tough games along there with Evan. I think what you'd probably say this season to counteract that is that Everton have actually played a little bit better in the tougher game. So mm. you know, perhaps that might actually work in Everton's favour. But you know, it, you, you still don't want, especially that last game. You, you just don't want to be travelling to Man City needing something. 
through yet. Like no, because he, because even if they've had the title wrapped up, which you assume they will do, that's yeah. just that's just not a. It's not in Guardiola's makeup to to, to just chuck chuck a game in that respect, mm-hmm. is it? You know, and 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 make changes for the sake of it. And even if they do make changes. The squads, the squads. Yeah, second absolutely... string's pretty handy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, it, as you say, it really is the worst place to be needing the result. Well, that's it. <coughs> Man City played their second string side against us. Let's say uh, in that final game of the season, Sergio Aguero's playing up front, and that's going to be his last well, game for Man City. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think yeah, he's absolutely guaranteed to be playing in that game. He's fit. He's yeah. playing, isn't he? Yeah, so you know, there's, I don't think he's got a particularly good record over his against Everton over his time at Man City, but the the script is written really, isn't it, for for something for him to produce something special on that day. So you know, in an ideal world, you'd you'd need to go to Man City not needing anything. And I think you know, Chris is right, and what he said there is that it's been such a weird season, and you know, this is this well, this has presented itself as such an opportunity to Everton, and it still is such an opportunity. I mean, the thing that I can maybe look at is that other teams are going to be dropping points as well. It's not, it's not just Everton. You know, I think there's a lot of, you know, Arsenal, for example, would have to consider themselves. They they still think they're in the race for European football, but they've got to be similarly, you know, perfect almost to try to try and uh, to try and secure that. You know, West Ham had had a little bit of a falter against Newcastle yesterday. You know, are they going to start? Slipping up, you know, you've still got Liverpool and Spurs in there as well. Are they going to slip up in that time as well? You know, I don't think any team has looked like they can produce that sort of perfect run from now until the end of the season to try and guarantee that European football. If Everton can produce this, you know, seven game spell that they need to, then obviously that's going to be the priority and, you know, that would be absolutely perfect. But even if they don't, I do still think there is an opportunity there because. You know, there, there could there could well be teams above Everton in the league that are going to perform worse from now until the end of the season because you know we we don't know how when how much injuries are going to play a factor in these last few games as well. You know, teams playing in different competitions as well. It, it's just going to be it's just going to be a mad end to the season. You know, as it's been crazy all season, I would say. So, you know, it's it, it's certainly it's certainly not over yet. But I, I, I do I do agree with what you're saying. Like, there, there does need to be some sort of Huge change in the way Everton are approaching their matches at the minute because you know they, they just need to start winning games again. Like long mm-hmm. and short of it, you need to turn these one points into three because otherwise you are going to get yourself cut adrift and there's not enough time to uh, to get yourself back if you do that. Mm. Obviously, when when reflecting on Friday's two two and and picking out reasons for for, for the uh, for the draw, I mean the absence of Decore wasn't one of them, but no coincidence, Chris, I guess. That the last victory we had was West Brom. It was Decore's last appearance, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's it, it's one of those. Um, he was probably the, the the least heralded of those three summer signings, but it quickly became um, obvious, you know, how important he was and why both Ancelotti and previous Everton managers had, had, had tried so hard to, to bring him to the club. He brought that you no know, much needed engine, the energy. And that Everton needed in their midfield, and with Alan only just coming back as well, it was like you know it's been a, it's been a bit a double blow. I mean they've been so one paced in the middle of the park. There to be fair, Tom Davis has been probably as consistent as he's ever been um, for Everton, and has stepped stepped up to the plate during their absence. But yeah, it's it's um, a bit it's a big miss, isn't it? And you know, it's it's still be it's still being seen now because although I think those three draws for me have actually been. 
very different. Um, I've, like I said, the Tottenham game was by far for me the, the best display. Crystal Palace, I don't think they were, they were amazing, but they produced a lot of chances and should have obviously won that one. And then the Brighton was a, a scratch team and almost like sort of nothing game. So a very, very different sort of um, sides from Everton, different displays. But yeah, they, you know, he's been, he's been a big miss um, throughout that. And obviously um, we'll, con- we'll continue to be so until, he, uh, you know, hopefully if he can get himself fit between now and the end of the season. Well, yes, certainly haven't ruled that out, have they? I think Carlos saying recently, another couple of weeks and he'll, he'll have a scan. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adam, talking about players who are back fit, Chris mentioned Alan. You know, I think he, he is absolutely vital. We do everything in our powers to keep him fit. But of course, on Friday night, I mean, apart from Sigerson, there was a standout player on the pitch, wasn't there? And it, was, it was Hammers. And, and, you know, that looked to me like as good a Hammers as we've seen all season. Did, did you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think. It was, a, it was an inspired move by Carlo almost to, to set up in the way that he did. I think it kept kept Hammers in that sort of free role, uh, sort of supporting Richarlison, but you know perhaps in behind him as well. You know picking up the ball whenever deep, whenever he needed to. Uh, it did mean pushing Gilfie Sigurdsson out to the left hand side, which at the start of the game I was thinking to myself, oh, how, how have we got ourselves into the position <laughs> again where we're playing Gilfie Sigurdsson left mid, the we left half behind. I think Sigerson. I think Sigerson was probably thinking the same. <laughs> exactly, but you know, it, it 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 seemed to work out well. As I say, you know, after after Spurs took the lead, I think you know Sigerson and Hammers kind of took it upon themselves to you know be the creative hub of Everton. And I, I can't really remember many times throughout the season, apart from in this game, where those two have really connected mm. as much as they did. You know, I think. Just at the end of the first half, when Hammers had that chance, uh, with after some nice interplay from Sigurdsson, funnily enough, after Allen had won the ball, yeah, uh, quite far up the pitch, you know, that was a that was a lovely little interchange of passes, and you know, maybe Hammers will think that he might have uh, done better with the shot, but it was just one of those games again, wasn't it? Where I think all of Everton's players were essentially looking for Hammers in at any point that they could, and Hammers more often than not was producing the quality that. That Everton needed, you know, so many of the chances were coming through him. You know, that chance that I mentioned previously with uh, Josh King running through, thought it was a fantastic run from King to uh, to set up the chance, but it was a equally brilliant ball from from Hammers to lay him on, and you know, obviously Richardson should score the follow up. And then I think Hammers had, you know, he fashioned a bit of a shot for himself in the in the very last minute of the game as well, where you know, when it left his foot, I was thinking, oh, are we going to get something mm-hmm. special? But it did, it did fly a little bit wide, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I, would, I would argue that, you know, Hammers has probably, you know, saved two of his best performances in Everton shape, both for Tottenham. You know, we, yeah. look back, we look back to that first game of the season and, and, you know, and I think I personally wasn't expecting Hammers to be as good as he was, you know, especially with the concerns that we might have had about how match fit he was going to be, etc. You know, that I think that, 
opening day game against Spurs was fantastic. Uh, and then I think he took it up to another level uh, this weekend. Uh, well, on Friday evening at least. Uh, against them again because I just think you know, given that free roll, I just don't think they could they could contain them at all. I don't think they knew whether the defenders should be marking them, the midfielders should be marking them, and you know that's probably where we should be looking to to use Hammers from now on. And I think that's maybe why it's you know a, a little bit disappointing that we haven't really got. I mean, I know it will be played on the right hand side, uh, but on Friday, but I don't think he was particularly particularly impressive in his hour on the pitch. So I'd say Everton haven't really got somebody who can play out on the right. Hammers is probably our best right midfielder at the minute, mm. but he's also our best number 10, which is, which is a little bit concerning. And, you know, it's probably something that needs to be addressed in the summer. But yeah, I, I'm just speaking about Hammers' singular performance against Spurs there, I, I would I would argue that probably is his mm. uh, it's best display in Everton show. Chris, no player or, or only a sort of, uh, I guess, a fortunate few would go through a season without picking up injuries. So it's, of course, you know, a player of Hamez's age and, and coming mm. to the football club, having not played a lot of football. I think injuries were, were expected, of course, and but I think he's missed nine league games. He's missed a quarter mm. of the, quarter of the, of the league season. And you, and you just think, don't you, what difference would, would the table look like? You know, how would our sort of um, prospects look today if he'd have just been able to be fully fit for a bit longer and, because now he does look fully fit, and Carlo's decision to treat him with care over, you know, before prior to the international break, it looks like it was a good decision. Mm. Because when he's fully fit, I mean, yeah. he, he's he, he's he's terrorising all the best, you know, the best defences, isn't he? I mean, he was superb on Friday. Yeah, well, there's another, I think you could make an argument. Um, he's the most talented footballer ever to play for Everton Football Club. Um, He's maybe he's not in the absolute peak of his career, and that's why he's at Everton now and not Real Madrid. And that's probably why you can't depend on him for like 40, 50 games a season. But I mean, if, if you look at it, I mean, Kevin Sheedy was my um, boyhood favourite, and I don't think we've had a left foot at Everton like that um, since like Sheedy, that sort of class, until Hammers has come now. I mean, look back. Um, Today's actually the anniversary of the, those of you too young to remember an incredible volley that Sheedy scored um, at Villa Park on this day in 1987 as Everton were on the way to the last um, title. And um, yeah, there's not been a left foot like that at Everton. I mean, you look at the great players who played for Everton. Um, Samuel Eto'o was you know, a highly decorated player, but um, long past <coughs> his best by the time he arrived. Wayne Rooney sort of bookended his career either side of a you know illustrious spell with Manchester United and England in between. Somebody like Alan Ball and a, a World Cup winner. I'm trying to I'm trying to think now. Obviously Neville Southall was the best goalkeeper in the world, but you know it's different comparing outfield players. But yeah, he's you know I I you think you could make a strong argument for somebody like Hamas Rodriguez to be. He is the most talented footballer to ever represent. Everton, I'm not saying, he, you know, he's at his best now. You know, obviously when he was at 2014, the peak of his powers, he was top scorer in that World Cup. Probably should have been played a tournament. They gave it to Messi, but I think, you know, it was ham, it was hammer. So you, we can see what he can do when he is on form. I mean, that pass for Richarlison in the derby is, as well. Mm. You know, he can pick a pass. He can do things players can't do, but you can't depend on him for, for all those games. And I think you've just got to accept that and get as much out of him as you can, and with a coach like Ancelotti, someone as well known who's had them both at 
Real Madrid and buy him, signed him for a third time now. You know, he's going to, you know, get as much out of Hammers, um, as, you know, for, for as, lo- as long as he can. He knows how to, how to handle him. Mm. Yeah, wise, uh, wise words. And um, just, you know, just I just think, uh, I was just thinking on Friday, Ad, and, you know, my personal sort of feelings about when you're building a team is it's not, you know, it's very much not about individuals. It's about finding the best 11 and stuff. But I'm looking at Hammers on Friday and I'm thinking, Carlo, just indulge Hammers now for the final seven games and literally build it around him. And as you mentioned, if that if that means playing in 10 and just filling the gaps around, as long as you're getting him the ball in the right places, it really does feel to me that that's going to be our best chance now because we've got to go for it. I think perhaps Carlo was thinking that as well. You know, obviously uh, we had a bit of a spell where we didn't see Hammers for a while, didn't we? After the uh, after that derby, and you know, Carlo kind of revealed that it was a mutual decision taken by the club and the player to just like give him a rest and make sure that he was fit for these, you know, this last stretch of the season. And I think you know that, that that's probably that was probably the thinking behind it for Carlo because I think it was very similar in the Crystal Palace game as well. I think Hamez was quite clearly Everton's best player in that match. You know, he was, he was again, as I say, the, the creative hub of the team. And, uh, you know, he, he scored that, scored that amazing goal against Crystal Palace. I think it's, it, I think it's really underrated how he mm. managed to find that near post, to be honest with that, with that finish. It was... On his right foot as well. Yeah. The yeah. <coughs> unreal finish from him. And then obviously, I think he, he's found another level uh in that Spurs game, I think the Brighton game was just much of a muchness for for any anybody on the pitch. To be honest, that I just don't think anybody anybody particularly stood out in that match. But yeah, I, I think I think you're completely spot on because I think it's it, it's very clear that Hamez is Everton's best player at the minute. It's, it's I think on on form and with his talent, I think he's. This is the most fit I think I've seen him as well. You know, there, yes. were, a lot, there were a lot of occasions in you know the second half of that Spurs game when I was thinking to myself, "Oh, Ames has just done a big sprint there. Is this where we're going to see him?" You know, yeah, and, and that's maybe... and you know, and I don't think that's that, that's that's totally normal, and that's not a criticism, is it, of, of mm-hmm. Ames or or the, or the medical staff or anybody? I think that's a natural reaction because I I felt the same when we were mm-hmm. getting past the hour and, and there was a bit of movement on the bench and seven. I'm thinking. His hammer's going to signal that he's tired, but he, you know, he's got ninety again. Well, that's it. <clears throat> there was one particular moment where, like, I think he he lost the ball on this near touch line, and he chased back thirty yards to to you know towards his own box to make sure you know, Everton won the ball back before like getting up to the other end of the pitch. And I was thinking to myself, well, he he doesn't need to, mm. he doesn't need to do that. You know, that's not what he's on the pitch for. You know, Carlo Ancelotti said that early in the season. He was like, <laughs> you know, we didn't sign Hamid Rodriguez to defend. He, yeah. he's, he's there to score goals and set up goals at the other end of the pitch but I think it just shows off the, you know, the increased fitness that he's showing and I think that's just another string that he's added to his bow for these last few games of the season so you know, if, if you know, as it looks like it took you know, four to five weeks whatever for Hamas to just sit out and make sure that he was fully over that you know, calf issue that had been bothering him for, for a while it seems you know, I, I think it's only going to be beneficial to Everton in these final few games because he is going to be the focal point of these next few games. If Everton are going to go on this perfect run that we've been talking about, then Hamas Rodriguez is absolutely going to be central to it, isn't he? So, yeah, I think you're completely right. Just get get him at number 10 and then just name the team around him because yeah. I think he, he is he is the key. 
Yeah, and as and, and as you mentioned, and I think it is worth noting and, and 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 reflecting on the fact that a lot of his he does actually do a fair bit and a, a stress fair. You know, he's, he, he, there are people who do more, of course, but he does do a fair a fair bit of defensive work. And when he's fit, he's clearly got the ability to do it. And I don't think it's because of a lack of willing, or, or I think there was a perception earlier in the season, probably fairly, that perhaps he wasn't doing much and he was kind of letting the the game pass by him in that respect, but. You know, I think on Friday night he was he was doing his fair share, but um, but Chris, I mean, uh, I mean, I've not I've not had a good chance to study that the the times they've played together, but mm. Sigurdsson and Hames doesn't feel like a combination that has really been given given that opportunity because it's always felt like it was one or the other a lot of the season, but the pair of them together on Friday really really worked, and I don't know whether Carlos almost stumbled to get stumbled upon something mm. that that maybe those two. You know, in in a in the high pressure running, the most two of the most experienced players, two of the best ball handlers in the team, might have to play together week in uh, week out between now and the end of May. Yeah, I mean, there was actually a, a, a line of thought that some people say that they, they couldn't play together. I won't name the national journalist who, who made the point, but made a very oh, go uh, on. Uh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was somebody at the Times, um, native Merseysider. I won't yeah. call that, that. but. Um, um, you know, they, they made their point very eloquently and actually came out on the side of Sigurdsson, said that, you know, Everton were better off just with, with, with Gilfie in, in, in the side. And, um, look, what, we've got two players of that talent. Well, you should be able to to play them together and, and, and get the best out of them. I mean, that's all been the frustration with Sigurdsson. When you see how well Gilfie played on Friday night and how effortlessly he took that um, oh. second goal, that that's... That's when you get frustrated because you see, you see how talented he is, you see how gifted he is. So it's what in all those games when he's quiet, mm. you think, oh, why can't we have more of this? Because he is so talented, and that's why Everton, you know, he remains the club's record signing. Um, he, he's certainly not been a flop, but given the money that they paid for him, there's always going to be question marks. And um, yeah, that. Ancelotti's a, he's a clever uh, coach, and he, you know he's, he's seen so many things in football that hopefully he can adapt a system that can get the best out of these um, two talented players. Because I think that's been a, a sort of a shortcoming of some of his predecessors at Everton. They they knew what they liked and they knew what they they would stick to. Where Ancelotti will very much you know keeps us all guessing, doesn't we? We don't know from one mm-hmm. game to the next. Okay, injuries obviously play a big part in that as well horses for courses which sort of team he's going to pick even within that game itself you know is it one formation with the ball another one without the ball you know he's, he's a highly adept ta- tactician and you know he, he finds solutions and hopefully with two players as gifted as this he can come up with a, a system albeit you know if it, it's a short-term solution or something longer term which can um, get results for Everton and, and get the, the best out of these two you know gifted players two of the most gifted players within the squad Adam, what do you think it is with Sigurdsson? Just stick with him for a moment because, you know, as Chris said, it is almost frustrating when you see him playing so well. And he has actually had a good season, you know, on the, on the whole and, and scored some really important goals and put in some really important performances. But it's not been plain sailing since, since he arrived. And, you know, it, it can't be because when the goings got tough, he hasn't fancied it because he played at Swansea for however long and they were always, you know, in a relegation battle. So, I don't know. Is, do you think there's a feeling that he he hasn't maybe felt in under certain managers in certain seasons felt like he's the pivotal central figure? Because I think you know when you think back to Silver's first season, 
13 goals, joint top scorer. Under Koeman and Allardyce, he was just playing anywhere, left wing, as you mentioned earlier. Mm. And then and then when Carlo came in last season, it did, we got the impression that Carlo wasn't totally convinced, was he? And he was playing in deeper. And mm. But when he's been given the, the sort of responsibility and a bit more of a centre stage role, if you like, maybe mm. feels like Carlo has, has found the way to get the best out of him. Perhaps, yeah, but perhaps it's it's been quite canny from Carlo Ancelotti in a way, whereas you know he wants to challenge Sigurdsson a little bit. Where it's it's been like you know last season, as we mentioned, I, I think more out of necessity than anything else because we just had no central midfield. Yeah, he, he was he was playing him a little bit deeper, wasn't he? And you know, Carlo at the time was saying, I, "I really you know like Sigurdsson in this position, blah blah blah." But I think he was he was very much thinking to himself, "I'll oh, get get him." get him up the other end of the pitch as soon as we possibly can. Uh, so perhaps it was a challenge from Carlo Ancelotti, whereas he's been saying this season, okay, you played last season where I needed you to play. Now I'm going to be playing you in your in your preferred position, mostly in the in the number 10 preferred position. Go and show me, go and show me what you can do and you know show me why you're the uh, why you're the 45 million pound man for Everton, etc. etc. Et and I think for the most part this season, I think Gilpie Sigurdsson has stood up to that. You know, as mm. you say, he scored some really, really important goals, you know, from the penalty spot against Chelsea. You know, he scored that goal away to Sheffield United in that 1-0 win. You know, scored both of them uh, against Spurs as well. Uh, you know, he, he has he has stood up to be counted. I think he's up to eight goals and nine assists so far mm. this season. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure there's any other Everton player this season that's had more goal contributions than him uh, in all competitions, which is you know, quietly under the radar. That's, yeah, yeah, that's been, yeah. That's been really impressive because, you know, there have been even times this season where he's been out of the side a little bit and, you know, James Rodriguez has been playing in that number 10 role and, you know, he, he has been pushed out onto the left-hand side or he's been asked to sit a little bit deeper again. You know, he's he's becoming a little bit Mr. Versatile for, for Carlo Ancelotti. But, yeah, I, I, do, I do think that whenever he does get that opportunity, in his preferred position, you know, getting getting himself in and around the box, looking to create as much as he possibly can. You know, obviously he, he got a got four assists against Spurs in the, uh, <laughs> the FA Cup as well, didn't he? You know, earlier earlier in the season. So maybe we could just have him play against Spurs every week. <laughs> it seems, <laughs> well, seems like the best way to go. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's been a it's it's been a really really good season for Sigurdsson, and I think he's. He's certainly earned the trust of Carlo Ancelotti, it seems. And I think, you know, as as good a man manager as Carlo Ancelotti is, I think, you know, that's, you know, perhaps to be expected that he's going to be able to get the best out of a player who's got obviously got the natural ability of Gilfie Sigurdsson. But, you know, it's testament to the player as well that he's worked hard to quite clearly gain the manager's trust. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the summer with sort of like contract negotiations. Mm. Out of contract in twenty twenty two, is it? So yes, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens on that front because if he keeps going, if he keeps going in this vein, you know, eight goals and nine assists, as I say, this season, then he's he's set himself up to be a crucial player still for Everton. So they're they're surely going to need to offer him something in the summer. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Just before we wrap up, and, and you know, we, we haven't really touched on the defending in inverted mm. commas, but I think, you know, I think we're all in hope that there are two errors that will be anomalies in a, in, a, in a largely solid, in fact, very good at times, defensive performance this season from, from the back four. So we, we'll put that to one side for now unless it crops up again uh, at, at the Emirates. But um, Chris, Adam mentioned Iwobi. Um, given a start, doesn't always start games. You know, he came off the game, bench against Brighton. He, <clears throat> he, saw, he seems to have one in, one out sort of rotation with, with mm. Alex. He didn't take his, his, his opportunity, did he? And, and yeah. I think if we're being fair or, or honest, that's probably not the first time this season, in fact, it's not the first time this season that we can say that. There have been opportunities and moments when he has taken his, his chance, but it seems to be a recurring theme for Iwobi that when he starts games, he often struggles to make an impact. It's, he's a really frustrating player for me because you can see that there is a lot of natural ability, gen, like real talent. Arsene Wenger would not have brought him through at Arsenal and no. given him however many Premier League appearances he had um, if he didn't see a player. And Wenger is as good a judge of a player as, as anybody. Mm. What, what do you think is going on with the world? Can, can, he, can he have a future at Everton beyond, you know, beyond what, what we've seen so far? You know, he, he's approaching, he'll be approaching two seasons, won't he, with us now? Yeah, I think you've used that word already for me, Phil. Frustrating, frustrating mm. again. We've talked, we talked about frustration with Gilfie Sigurdsson, but you know there is still a degree of end product with 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 Gilfie Sigurdsson. You know the 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 benchmark had been set so high, and we're frustrated with that. But yeah, Alex Awobi. I mean, in retrospect, you can see it maybe looks like. A panic buy was done very late in that window. I don't know. I'm not privy to how long he was on the radar or how long he was amongst those top targets. I mean, a lot of the talk was about um, Wilfred Zahar that summer and ultimately that didn't come to pass. But a a Wobie did. I think he was possibly even on a boat in the Middle East somewhere when he actually signed. It was. I think that's our last minute. That's our last minute. (laughs) He was on holiday in Dubai on a yacht. Yeah, so... um, it, it, you know, like you say, to have played that many games under Wenger, I mean, I think I spoke to one of our colleagues at football London after he signed and said, you know, he's very well respected amongst the coaching staff at Arsenal. And there was a feeling that he got a hard time from the Arsenal crowd uh, at times. But it, yeah, it's it, it's strange. It's almost the way he. Um, he runs with the ball. He seems to often go backwards before he goes forwards um, in some sort of a big arch at times, almost like he's running in a big circle. I don't, I don't know what it is, but even at Brighton, that chance he had at the end, I mean, would have been a real classic smash and grab because, like we said, it was a total non-performance from Everton with a very um, strange lineup that was fo- forced upon them. But yeah, he, he could have got the winner there um, late at Brighton, probably should have done. Um, I don't know. We're sort of talk about what his best position is. Does he, you know, he wants to play number 10. Well, we've already got, like we said, Hammers Rodriguez and Gilfie Sigurdsson pushing that. So he's very much third choice in that position. 
I mean, I think he had a couple of minutes down at Fulham earlier in the season. Well, a few minutes where he almost looked like Stanley Matthews and that, um, that right wing, <laughs> the way he was dribbling at people. But yeah, it came and went. So we've seen we've seen in very sorts of fits and starts and small patches that that um, that ability he does possess. But yeah, he he is frustrating and he's he's not helped himself in that you know when he gets a chance he doesn't always take it and you know. I fear he's, you know, he's, he's got to do more. I mean, we, we're talking about the frustrations and wanting Everton to do better. He, he, he's, he's generally flattered to deceive for me. And again, it, it's frustrating because you can see the talent there. But like, um, like a few others at Everton, he needs to be a lot more consistent. Handily, uh, our producer guy has just given us the stats there. 98 games it will be played under Wenger at Arsenal. Uh, 149 games in total for Arsenal. So I think the point I was making, Ad, is that Clearly, that people are seeing stuff, talent, mm. ability in Alex, and and it feels like Carlo has has actually shown quite a lot of faith in him. But it feels as though the amount of games you could say, God, Iwobi was good, <clears throat> handful, and, and and that's not me being harsh because I know <clears throat> Iwobi gets a real rough ride. Um, with, with with certain fans, and I can understand, but I think it's more born out of frustration, as Chris said. That yeah. There's clearly a talented footballer there, but he's just so in and out of games, <clears throat> in and out of form. Um, and, there was, and I think what frustrates a lot of people, I don't know if you'd agree, it's just things like really early on on Friday night, there was almost, I don't even know it was, it was a 50-50. I think it was more of a 60-40 in Iwobi's favour with Kane, I think. You have to, have to have a check back of the footage. Mm. And he just went in really half-heartedly when it was in his favour. And we lost the ball and Carlos just, you just went mad on the sidelines. I just think this just feels like there's a, there's almost a sort of a timidness about him in certain, you almost want him to have more conviction in everything he does because if he does, then that's when perhaps we're going to see more of him. Perhaps he's, perhaps maybe he's, he's got a fear, he's fearful of, 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 of trying and, 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 and failing, I guess maybe I'm summing that up quite sort of, going amateur psychologist here but you know in that sort of you know I, I wonder whether there is that kind of mental block there with with a Wobie in certain circumstances well it's interesting isn't it you know I've got going by what we've just said you know obviously Carlo Ancelotti seems to have a lot of faith in him you know Arsene Wenger's obviously had a lot of faith in him as well back in his time at Arsenal you know obviously he's a He's a lad with a lot of talent and, you know, I've got no doubt in my mind that, you know, he turns up to training every day and he absolutely, he must be smashing it in training. <laughs> yeah. because, because, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked either because some of the stuff that we have seen from Iwobi, you know, the way he can pick up the ball and just drive at defenders, you know, he puts, he, he, like when he's in form, he puts defenders on the back foot instantly, you know, he's he keeps them guessing, you know, he's great with the ball at his feet. I think, you know, his end product sometimes has, leaves a, a little to be desired, but, you know, he, he, the way he can really scare defenders into making mistakes almost uh, when they're trying to track him, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that we want to see from him on a consistent basis. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing. You know, for me, I was I was watching the first half of Newcastle's game against West Ham yesterday. And I was seeing Alan St. Maximan pick up the ball mm. and he was driving with the ball 30 yards right into the heart of the West Ham defence. He was taking people on. You know, he was using his pace to then drive, like, dink his way past people and I was thinking to myself that's what we want to see from a Wobi you know you know that's the that's that's the kind of you know direct you know perhaps not 
the same physicality as a Wobie, but you know the, the kind of direct nature in the way he just picks up the ball and drives at people. That's that's what that's the kind of confidence I suppose that we want to see from a Wobie when uh, when he when he's uh, when he's in possession, but we just don't see it. I think you know the the main issue that I had from the Wobie's performance on Friday was there was one one moment I think it was just before Spurs scored where he picked up the ball on the on the right flank. What it came maybe ten yards inside with it, and then tried to make you know maybe another ten yard pass, and just completely missed missed his target. You know mm. under under very little pressure whatsoever. You know he was just passing the ball into the centre, gifted Spurs possession, and I think you know I don't think that directly led to their first goal, but I think it was it was very it was very close to them to them scoring their first goal. So you know it's moments like that where you just think to yourself, you know he, he was under no pressure there. So what what is, what is the issue? And mm. I know I know as you say, you know, he does get a bit of a bad rap from fan from some fans, and I think that's probably because, you know, the, the fact that as Chris said, it was a very last minute sort of deadline day move. It was, you know, big money move as well, wasn't it? So it, it kinda of, it kinda of comes along with a certain amount of expectations. So maybe that's maybe that's a bit harsh to judge him to judge him on that. And I do think as well. You know, he, he he's very much been a utility man this season. He's played oh yeah, plays in all manner of different positions. So you know, it it, it does seem that as you say, he's he's spends one game in and one game out of the team. So he spends one game in at right mid, comes out, then he's at left mid, and then he comes out, and then he's at wing back, and then he's out again, and then he's at number ten. Mm. So yeah, it, it can't be easy for him, and I, and I do understand that, but. You know, it, it it is it is just fr- so frustrating because we know that we do know that he's got some amazing talent. He's shown it this season, as Chris says, in that away game against Fulham. You know, he showed some real, real quality there. And I think the one that goes under the radar for me is when he came on against Brighton at home when Richarlison got injured. Yeah, he came into that game, and I thought he was fantastic on that goal at Wolves as well. Goal at Wolves as well, which was which was another really good game for him. So. You know, it, it it is just frustrating to see this coming in fits and starts for him. So you know, maybe maybe if you, I, I feel I feel like I've I've maybe said this a lot of times about the Wobie, but maybe if he got a run of games in the side, then things would be a bit different. But you know, he, he does kind of need to take one of these opportunities now. He got an hour on the pitch against Spurs, where Everton, you know, for I'd say a large portion of that, we're the better team. We were creating chances, but I can't really remember Iwobi being involved in much of that chance creation whatsoever. And then, you know, you know it's, it's not his fault, but, you know, a minute after he comes off, James Coleman comes on in his position and sets up a goal, doesn't he? So, yeah, it does have the double impact of reinforcing <laughs> a disappointing evening for him. Yeah, he probably, he's probably just zipping up his coat and probably <laughs> conflicting emotions. He's probably made up with score, but then thinking, oh, this looks bad. Yeah, exactly. So you, you know, you do you do feel for him in a, in a, in a few ways, but yeah, I think going back to what you said, I think frustrating is probably probably the key word for a Wobi. So think, fingers crossed, you know, he does get another chance before the end of the season, and he can show us again, you know, what it what he can do, and you know, hopefully he'll be able to, you know, maybe if we get into Europe, hopefully he'll be able he'll be able to find himself. A position in the squad uh, for next season because I, I do still think he's he's a lad with loads and loads of talent. He just needs to you know find find the key to showing it on a consistent basis. And to be fair, I don't think he's the only player in the squad. Who's Absolutely not. No. no, speaking of Europe, scored the Europa League final, didn't he? Of course, Alex Iwobi. Yeah, yeah. So 
he's got good form in that respect. Okay, chaps, we will wrap it up there. This uh, review pod of the Spurs game and various strands of uh, talking points that came from it. <clears throat> so uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, chaps, thank you very much for your company. We'll be back in the week, probably looking to record again on Thursday, I think, ahead of the trip to Arsenal on Friday, back-to-back Friday night games. So uh, we will be back then. Thanks very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.